His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. listening to his and hers horror my name is tina and i'm david i'm very excited for today's episode oh i know i've mentioned before about my high school best friend karen Mm -hmm. and her introducing me to the wider world of horror films i had seen horror films before she and i became friends but they were few and far between and it was pretty much just like my sister and I would be home on a weekend and Poltergeist would be on and we'd watch that until we got too scared. And one of my friends snuck a copy of Blair Witch Project into a party when I was like 12 or 13. I don't remember exactly how old I was. But Karen was the one who really got me into horror movies and caused me to kind of go exploring, if that makes any kind of weird sense. Yeah. And I can't say for sure if the movie we're covering is the very first horror movie she showed me, but I want to say it probably is. Okay. So we are focusing 100% today on one of the first movies from my modern horror education, and that is the 2001 film 13 Ghosts. Mm-hmm. Now, it's one of my favorite horror movies for various reasons. It hits a lot of nostalgia points for me. But I also just love, and we'll get into it later, the attention to detail yeah. that they put into this movie. It's it's so intricate and so interesting to me that I feel really sad when I go and I look at the score that this movie has on like Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic. Yeah, it's not great. It's real bad. It has a it has a Rotten Tomato score of seventeen percent. Yeah, it's bad. Roger Ebert hated it, of course, because well, he hates everything. That's he hates nice. all horror movies, basically. He just wasn't a fan of horror in general. Well, not being a fan of something, I don't think, should be a reason to. I agree. I feel like film critics should be able to be objective, right? But they're most objective, unbiased, looking at the film for what it is, rather than focusing on what they like. Mm-hmm. But that's just not how most film critics are, unfortunately. Yeah. So let's get into it. Yeah. So 13 Ghosts, it is technically a remake of a castle film from back in the day that was also called 13 Ghosts. Okay. So this one was directed by Steve Beck, screenplay by Neil Marshall Stevens and Richard DeVidio, and based on the original film by Rob White, was who wrote the original story. We may have to do an episode on William Castle at some point. Okay. But there's just so much to talk about with this that I didn't want to... Right, because originally we're going to pair it with another movie, and you were like, I've got so much notes just for this movie. I'm like, well, let's just do it. Yeah, yeah, because there's... We'll get into it. (laughs) The cast, we have Tony Shalhoub as Arthur Criticos. Mm -hmm. Most recently, he's been playing Abe Weissman on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. People will also recognize him as Adrian Monk from Monk. I knew him from Wings. You knew... Yeah, I was going to say Wings. I don't remember the name of his character. Um, he drove a taxi. Yeah. Antonio Scarpacci. Right. Okay. But he's been in a lot of stuff over the years. Shannon Elizabeth is Kathy Criticos. Most people, I think, will remember her as Nadia in the American Pie films. 
Uh, Alec Roberts is Bobby Criticos. He didn't really do anything. He like he had a couple other small roles that he did around this time, mm-hmm. but he took a break from acting to focus on school, and then just never went back into acting. Just decided it wasn't his thing. I get it. F. Murray Abraham is Cyrus Criticos. Mm. He played Salieri and Amadeus. More recently, he was Dara Dahl on Homeland. Mm-hmm. Such a great actor. Yeah, yeah, he's he's fantastic. If you haven't seen Amadeus, I highly recommend it. It unfortunately perpetuates the um, misinformation that Salieri and Amadeus had like this feud when they didn't really. Yeah, the Mozart and it was playful at best. It was a friendly rivalry yeah. at best. It was not I'm going to try and ruin your career kind of thing. Right. Anyway, Raw Digga plays Maggie. Mm-hmm. She's mostly she's an MC. Yeah, she doesn't really act very much. Matthew Lillard is Dennis Rafkin. He was Stu in Scream. He has also played Shaggy Rogers in Scooby-Doo in one way or another since 2002. Yeah. Because he originally was doing the live action, but now he also does like the voiceover for cartoons and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't yeah. realize he was doing the voice for that. I didn't either until I looked and I had to scroll all the way back to the very first live action uh, Scooby-Doo film. See, the first thing I remember seeing Matthew Lillard in was Hackers. Oh, Hackers? I thought you were going to say SLC Punk. No. Okay. Uh, M. Beth Davids is Kalina. Mm. She was Helen Hirsch in Schindler's List. She was also Miss Honey. She was also Miss Honey in Matilda, and she's in uh, Fallen. Yes, but she was Miss Honey. She was Miss Honey. Did you even grow up watching Matilda? I was an adult watching Matilda. Oh, that's fair, because of Miss Honey. (laughs) Well... No, I, I just heard it was good. And, and, it is good. And there was just something about Miss Honey where I'm like, that is the ideal I was looking for in a an, a, an adult teacher. That's yeah. what I was looking for in a teacher and I could never find. Yeah. Uh, and then the last person in the main cast is J.R. Bourne as Ben Moss, the lawyer. Mm-hmm. He was Chris Argent on Teen Wolf. Yep. I'm going to go ahead and also name the actors who play the ghosts. And with... Like, three exceptions, they're all either this is the only thing they ever did, or the other stuff that they've done is all, like, stunt work. Okay. So, Michael Spidel is the firstborn son. Mm-hmm. Daniel Wesley is the torso. Laura Minnell is the bound woman. She is the, um, she's one of the only ones who's ever done any other acting, really. Uh, she was Thelma Harris on Man in the High Castle. Okay. Uh, Catherine Anderson is the withered lover. Craig Olenek is the Torn Prince. Shauna Lawyer is the Angry Princess. Xantha Radley is the Pilgrimess. She was Mrs. Meeks on The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Okay. C. Ernst Harth is the Great Child. He was Lowly Andrews in Capote. Oh, all right. Which I haven't seen. I'm, we may have to change that sometime soon. We own it. It's like right over there. I know. That's what I'm saying. We may have to change that. <laughs> uh, Lori Sopper is the Dire Mother. Herbert Duncanson is the hammer. Interesting thing about him is he wasn't, he was called in to be like a, um, a reference point for like effects and makeup and stuff. Mm-hmm. The guy who was originally cast as the hammer didn't show up. So they're like, well, do you just want to do it? And oh, he was wow. like, yeah, sure. <laughs> they didn't have time to cast somebody else. Right. Shane Weiler is the jackal. And then John DeSantis is the juggernaut. He's probably the one that's done the most other stuff. He's been on episodes of Supernatural. He was the bald man on a series of unfortunate events, the Netflix series. Okay. So he's one of those people where you can look at him and you're going to be like, oh, it's that guy. Right, right. So 
I'm trying to decide how I want to do this. Do we want to talk about our thoughts on the film and then we can get into all the lore that I have? Because there's a decent amount of lore that goes with this particular film. Do we want to talk about the film first before we get into the deepness? I have a couple fun facts and some thoughts. That's all I have. Okay. So let me give a basic plot how this works, because I'm sure sure most people have probably seen this film. They're at least somewhat familiar with it. It is currently on Netflix in the US. Yeah. At time of recording. I highly recommend watching it just because it's so fun. Mm -hmm. If you want to turn this off and go watch it real quick and then come back, it's not a long movie. Yeah, it's not. See you in an hour and a half. Yeah. So the basic plot of this film, it follows the the Criticos family. Mm -hmm. And a year after the death of Arthur's wife, Mm -hmm. they get a visit from this lawyer who says, hey, your uncle died. He left you this house. I have instructions to take you there. And it's this giant, like, glass house out in the middle of nowhere. And it's got all this Latin etched onto it. It's very cool looking. Mm -hmm. And it quickly turns out that Arthur's eccentric rich uncle was a little more eccentric than everybody thought. Yeah. Because he has been obsessed with capturing ghosts in an attempt to complete this ritual and be more powerful. Mm -hmm. And now Arthur and his family are trapped in the house and have to figure out a way to get out before shit goes fucky. Is that a, that's a very basic. Yeah. Yeah. That's so it's, yeah. So it's Arthur, his two kids, their housekeeper, housekeeper. She she calls herself a babysitter at one point. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I think she's just there mainly to keep track of Bobby. Yeah. Lend a helping hand. Not cook, though. No, she does. Apparently, she doesn't cook. Well, she does. It's they just don't Hers like is it. It's not good. Yeah. And then uh, Dennis, who was helping Cyrus capture ghosts, shows up to try and warn everybody and also get his money because he's owed a lot of money. And then Kalina also shows up because... somehow. Yeah, somehow. Well, we know how eventually. Also, supposedly to try and stop whatever's happening. Anyway, go ahead with your thoughts and such. I'm uh, interested. Okay, so... I don't think we've ever watched this movie together. No, we haven't. The first thing is actually more of a fun fact, because you, you mentioned that Rodiga is more of an MC than yeah an actress. Well, the closing credits music is performed by her. Is it really? Yes. I just never pay attention to the closing credits music. Uh, so, I was going to start with the end, because that's like the coolest thing I've, I've seen. But going back to the, the video where... Uncle Cyrus has this, like, the lawyer brings brings this laptop that's, like, five inches thick. And he, it's a huge early 2000s laptop. Yeah. And, you know, he, he plays this video, and this media player's going, and Cyrus is telling him this whole thing. And the video closes and then reopens for him to give a stinger. Yeah. And I'm like, what kind of media player does that except for maybe some sort of haunted one? I don't know. I just, it, it was a cool trick, and I'm sure you could program it to, like, close and then automatically open a second file but i know i'm overanalyzing it so those of you getting ready to say hey you're overanalyzing it i know i am i just thought it was really neat yeah you know it's kind of like people pointing out in jurassic park that the live feed has a as a play bar yeah so it's not a live feed it's a, a video but they didn't think anybody would notice yeah the fact that they used excess by tricky that's a jam that that music that just starts starts blasting I must have missed it. Is it when they're going to the house? Yeah. Okay. 
my other thoughts really are I love the clockwork automation of this house. Yes. Uh, it reminds me a bit, a bit of the kind of stuff that you would see in like Dunwall in the Dishonored series mixed with uh, the Dwemer yeah. machinations from, from the Elder Scrolls series. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, it's very steampunk kind of looking. Yeah. Um, and then I have two notes on one event okay. that takes place. Yeah. Go for it. So there is a vertical bisection. <gasps> it's so good. Okay. So, so here's the lead up to this. So the lawyer's job basically is to get Arthur and his family to the house because Arthur is needed to complete this ritual. Mm -hmm. And after he gets them there, he goes downstairs to the basement, which is where all the containment cubes for the ghosts are, to pick up a briefcase of money because that's his pay. Well, the briefcase is on this lever. So when he picks it up, it triggers everything to start Mm -hmm. and it lets the angry princess out. And as she is coming towards him, he's backing up and the house changes. Mm -hmm. So this piece of glass basically like cuts him in half, but like... From head to foot through the... So the front of his body is on one side of the glass and the back side of his body is on the other side of the glass. Yeah. It's so good because like his eyes are like moving back and forth and you see the, the ghost glasses come off and then his tie comes off and then he just like starts sliding down the glass and the back half doesn't slide down as fast and you yes. can see the, the like skull and brain and it's everything. so cool it's such a good bisection oh i love so, it so so i just first want to mention how glorious that was because you never get to see something like that no you don't get good bisections in movies very often but then no more than maybe five minutes later you're in a different part of the house and Maggie asks the best question in the whole fucking yes. movie. She goes, hey, did the lawyer split? Yes. It's so good. Such a great line. See, the thing I love about this movie is, is it's aware of what it is. It's very clever. It's it's clever. There's a lot of tongue-in-cheek stuff. I mean, Matthew Lillard is on absolute peak form. Oh, yeah. Uh, everybody is, really. Like, uh, top Matthew Lillard. I'm happy. You know, some I've seen some people say that Shannon Elizabeth's performance was... You know, just kind of bland. So she's not really given much to do. The kids are really just there as like their Bait. motivation. Yeah, their motivation. They're, for... They don't have really much influence on the plot. Mm-hmm. They're not really important until like the last, what, five minutes of the movie. Right. The thing I want to say about Shannon Elizabeth, though, is that I think she actually did an excellent performance, and it's nice to see her not hypersexualized. Yeah. She's she, like, if she was my big sister, she would be the coolest big sister in the world. I, one thing that always bothered Karen whenever we would watch this movie is when Kathy is, because all they've, Kathy, Maggie, and Bobby have all been told, stay in this room, and of course they don't. Right. Bobby and Maggie go off in one direction. Kathy goes off in another. She finds this beautiful bedroom with a beautiful bathroom attached. And when the angry princess gets out, she goes up to that bathroom. Mm -hmm. And Kathy just does some weird shit in the bathroom. Like she's twirling like three strands of of hair. hair Into the mirror. She goes to the tub and turns on the faucet and then starts splashing water on her face. And... That particular emotion always annoyed Karen because she was like, who does that? Mm. 
who in an, who goes to an open house or like the house they just moved into and goes to the bathtub and just starts splashing water on their face? It's weird. It is a bit weird, but yeah. still. I think she did the best with what she had. Yeah. Which wasn't much, unfortunately. True. Because it's definitely, the story is more focused on Arthur. And the house. And the house. So, do you have any other thoughts? I know you thought that I hated this movie. For some reason, I think you hate all early 2000s horror movies. And I don't know why. I don't find this movie scary in the slightest. Not any of the ghosts scare me. That said, I feel like it is a solid story. Mm -hmm. It's a fun adventure. It's an amusement park ride. Yeah. Well, and there are certain ghosts that I'm sure like, yeah, they don't scare you in a film. But if you were to have to encounter them, it would not be a joyous experience. Well, no, probably not. But, you know, all told, you know, observing it, consuming it as a horror film, it it doesn't do much for me in that sense. Yeah. But that's not to say I don't like it. I really did enjoy watching it again. Okay, that's Uh, fair. It had been a it'd been a few years and and just seeing it again and really kind of taking in. Something happens when, you know, if you're just passively watching a movie, you know, you start to kind of, you know, your mind starts wandering on other things. And I'm not suggesting anybody else do this because it, it can get tedious. But, you know, when I'm sitting there taking notes and, and looking for things, mm-hmm. sort of being a active observer. Yeah, because really... you watch a movie differently when you're watching it for entertainment versus watching it analytically. Right. And... And just the nuances and the the sheer design of mm-hmm. the house itself was brilliant. Yeah, it's very cool. So let's talk about the house. Yeah. So we find out uh, about halfway through the movie that the house isn't really a house. Yeah, it's more like a prison. It's, well, it's, it's a machine. Yeah. So... Kalina shows up at one point about halfway through and does this info dump on the house itself. So the house is actually a machine that was designed by a 15th century astrologer named Basilius. So she she calls it Basilius's machine. And he drew the blueprints for this machine while he was under demonic possession. Actually, she's got this book called The Arcanum. Mm-hmm. that has those blueprints in it as well as the information on the ghosts required and that book was also written by Basilius so that that whole book he wrote so once the machine is activated it opens the ocularis infernum which is the eye of hell right which is supposed to grant the user like unimaginable power don't know how they don't go into that as far as i could tell that can't go wrong I mean, it definitely could, but... I'm just saying, you know, usually you've got some villain going, you know, I want this, you know, immeasurable, you know, unknowable power, and then they get it and die, and it's like... Right. That's kind of what we expect anymore. Right. I mean, look to the Indiana Jones films for that. Actually, keep your eyes covered. Well, for Raiders, yeah. So one of the things that's part of this machine is the Black Zodiac. Now, Mm -hmm. the Black Zodiac is not a real thing. It was made for the film and it's actually very cool so the ghosts that are part of the black zodiac are a dark inversion of the regular zodiac Mm -hmm. and they represent the specific spiritual energy that is required to power the machine and open the oculus infernum okay one thing that a lot of people don't know and this is one of my favorite things about this fucking movie 
is that backstories were written for all of the ghosts. Really? Yes. And while they're not mentioned in the film, they're hinted at for some of them in their look mm-hmm. and sometimes their behaviors. There's a, there's actually a special feature that is on the DVD that I have and the anniversary edition Blu-ray that I want mm-hmm. called Ghost Files. And it is narrated by F. Murray Abraham in character as Cyrus Criticus. Oh my gosh. Okay. And it gives you the names of all the ghosts and their histories and all that stuff. So I, I love this fucking shit. And I would like to go into the ghosts of the Black Zodiac and their histories. Uh, yeah, that sounds perfect. Because I find it so interesting. And the, the other really cool thing that I learned when I started going into it, anybody who's into astrology knows that there are positive and negative traits to each Zodiac sign. Mm-hmm. And when you look at these ghosts, they follow the negative traits of the corresponding Zodiac sign. So each member of the black Zodiac corresponds to an actual Zodiac sign and the negative traits associated with that sign. It's so fucking cool. Nice. Sorry, I'm really excited. Are you ready? Yes. I don't know why I sounded like the guy from the Warriors just then. I can dig it. (laughs) Can you dig it? Anyway, so the first is the firstborn son. And here's the thing. So the ghosts that are required aren't set in stone. There's basically traits and and things about the creation of that ghost that cause it to work for that thing in the Black Zodiac. So these were all picked by Cyrus. Okay. He looked at specific ghosts and stuff and said, this is the ghost that's going to match what I need for this thing. Right, because in the film they just have uh, sort of descriptive monikers. Yeah. So the firstborn son. Mm-hmm. Billy Michaels loved to pretend to be a cowboy. If you see his look in the movie, he still is wearing his, you know, little, like a little kid cowboy kind of getup. Yeah, a little howdy doody type outfit. Yeah. So one day, another boy in the neighborhood challenged Billy to a duel to see, you know, cowboys and Indians, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Unfortunately, Billy's cap gun was no match for the boy's very real steel tipped arrows. And the boy was a very good shot and shot Billy in the head. So the the arrow is still, like, lodged through his head. Right. Unlike most of the other ghosts, he is kind of mild as far as threat goes. He never really attacks anyone. If you have the subtitles on, I highly recommend watching this movie with subtitles because there are little bits that you'll miss Mm -hmm. of, like, things that some of the ghosts will say stuff that you don't notice otherwise. So, like, Billy will say, I want to play. Huh. So the subtitles kind of work like those ghost-seeing glasses. Yeah. Neat. Like when Kathy's in the in the bathroom splashing water on her face and the angry princess is in the tub, mm-hmm. the subtitles will show that the angry princess is saying, what is she doing? Hmm. Yeah. So the firstborn son corresponds to the sign Aries. Okay. And the negative traits of an Aries, short-tempered, selfish, and reckless. Hmm. So think about the story that I just told, the very brief story that I just told you. Right, right, right. I see that. Yeah, exactly. And that gets even more spot on because the, the further down the list you go, the better the stories get. Well, not better, but like... More intricate. More intricate. Okay. So the torso. Mm. 
he's represented where he's basically like a torso and arms and like a head on the floor. It's not a whole per. He's not a whole person. Okay, so he's not from Cleveland. I don't know. May he might be. I know. I know you're making a reference to the Cleveland torso murders. Although actually, this guy lived in the early 1900s. So could be. Uh, so the torso, Jimmy the Gambler Gambino, was a compulsive gambler who lived in the early 1900s. His inability to turn down a bet eventually caught the attention of the mafia. Hmm. After he lost a bet made on a boxing match and did not have the money to pay up, the mafia cut him into pieces, wrapped them in cellophane, and dumped the remains in the ocean. Hmm. And he's another one that's a more neutral spirit. He just kind of doesn't really do anything. Yeah. Corresponds with the astrological sign Taurus. Okay. Tauruses, their negative traits, they're known to be stubborn. Mm Mm-hmm. And highly value possessions. Right. Next, we have the bound woman. Susan LeGrow, she led a very privileged life. Okay. Her parents were the richest people in town, so she was very popular. She was a cheerleader. But she liked to entertain herself by playing with the emotions of the men in her life. Mm. Just kind of pitting them against each other and just kind of being a little flighty and manipulative. Okay. During her senior year of high school, she was dating the captain of the football team, this guy named Chet Walters. And on prom night, he caught her cheating on him with another guy. Mm. Unfortunately, he had a bit of a temper. And after beating the boy to death, Chet tied Susan up and then strangled her to death with his tie. And then buried her body under the 50-yard line of the school's football fields. Hmm. So her ghost, if you if you go back and look at the film, her ghost, you can see it's still wearing a prom dress. Okay. Like she's made she's made up for prom. And she has ropes holding her arms back, and you can see Chet's tie is still around her neck. Okay. Okay. See, knowing the story, it makes her outfit make more sense. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, once you know the backstories, it makes the look of the ghosts make so much more sense. So Susan, the bound woman is matched with Gemini. Mm -hmm. Geminis are known to be inconsistent, double-faced, and indecisive. So by double-faced, does that mean duplicitous or two-faced? Duplicitous, yeah. Okay. Next, we have the Withered Lover. Mm. So the Withered Lover is actually Jean Criticos, Arthur's wife. Yeah. She was a happy and devoted wife and mother, seemed to be living the life that she wanted. Living her best life. Yeah. Uh, one night, she and Arthur were sleeping in front of the fireplace, and a stray log rolled out of the fireplace and set the Christmas tree on fire. Mm. The fire spread pretty quickly, and Arthur unintentionally abandoned Jean to save their kids, incorrectly assuming that she would find a way outside on her own and would wait for them there. She was taken to a local hospital, but died as a result of her burns. Hmm. And so her ghost is in hospital garb. The, like there's an, the entire left side of her body has extreme burns. Right. Unlike most of the ghosts, she is not dangerous. Mm-hmm. She's actually more benevolent. She even tries to help. Yeah. She like, she tries to tell, uh, what's his face? Bobby, not to, Bobby, not to go in the basement. Don't go downstairs. Go find your sister. That kind of deal. Yeah. So she is linked with the sign Cancer. Mm. Cancers are known to be extremely sentimental, motherly. Uh, They can also be possessive and hold on to grudges. Okay. 
by the way, these are neg- the negative traits. The negative traits associated with these astrological so, signs. I mean, there are positives to all of these, too. Yeah, but. we're and here's the thing. We're going to get to mine and David's astrological signs here in a minute. And yeah, yeah. that's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, yes, it is. So next we have the Torn Prince. Mm. Uh, Royce, is it the rockabilly looking one? This is the rockabilly looking one, okay. yeah. Uh, well, because he lived in the night, he died in the 1950s. Yeah, okay. Uh, Royce Clayton was a gifted baseball player in the 1950s, as we said. In high school, he caught the eye of various colleges around the U.S. He had numerous scholarship offers. And uh, at 17, a greaser named Johnny challenged him to a drag race. Mm. Unbeknownst to anyone prior to the race, Johnny cut one of the brake lines in Royce's car. Okay. This caused Royce to lose control of the car during the race, and the accident resulted in severe injuries and almost immediate death. Wow. So that's him looking so... The extreme torn flesh look of his ghost, that's why. It's from that accident. He also carries a baseball bat Mm -hmm. that he occasionally will use to attack people. So... So the Torn Prince is is tied to Leo. Okay. The negative traits of a Leo, Mm self-centered, egotistical, Mm -hmm. and Mm attention-seeking. So all of that matches up. I love... Sorry, I'm so excited. (laughs) Yeah. I love how how much these... There's so much thought went into these. And nobody knows about it. And that makes me sad. So next we have the Angry Princess. And her backstory is honestly one of the saddest, Mm. I think... She's the one that's cut. She is the one that is all cut up and naked. Right. Dana Newman was an extremely beautiful woman who lived in the late 20th century. Sadly, she was unable to recognize her own beauty. She had really intense self-esteem issues and body image issues that were not helped by the string of abusive boyfriends that she had who would play on this just to continue to fuck with her head and shit. She had multiple plastic surgeries to fix her perceived flaws. And she actually even worked for a plastic surgeon in his clinic. And part of her pay was discounts on upcoming procedures. Hmm. So one night she was alone in the clinic. And for some reason, she attempted to perform surgery on herself to fix a imaginary imperfection in her face. The botched procedure left her blind in one eye. And shortly after, she committed suicide. Mm. The slash marks on her body represent the slash marks that she gave herself. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, when she uh, committed suicide in the bathtub with a butcher's knife. Yeah, those are some pretty deep wounds. Yeah. So because of the way she died, her ghost is, that's why her ghost is naked, because she died in the bathtub. And her hair is wet, also, if you notice. Yeah. And she still carries the knife that she used to kill herself. Virgo is the sign mm-hmm. that she's tied to. Okay. Some negative traits of a Virgo. Bring it on. Oh, that's right. David is a Virgo. Yeah, bring it on. (laughs) Overly critical. Absolutely. Judgmental. Yep. Insecure. Absolutely. And easily frustrated. Working on it. (laughs) Another one that we have that I I also think is kind of sad is the backstory for the Pilgrimus. Hmm. So this is actually the the oldest ghost because this ghost goes all the way back to like colonial times. Right. So Isabella Smith came to North America as a colonist to find a new life 
she basically wanted to make a new life for herself. She didn't have any family in England. She was an orphan. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because she had no family or close friends, when she showed up in this tight-knit Puritan community, they didn't want anything to do with her. Right. Because you're alone and you don't have any friends or family. We don't want to be friends, so fuck you. I see that on lunchroom tables all the time. Mm-hmm. In movies and stuff, I haven't been to a lunchroom where it's like, hey, can I sit with you in years? You can't sit with us. Um, shortly after her arrival, crops and livestock started to mysteriously die. Mm. And a local preacher accused her of witchcraft, which obviously she denied. Right. When that preacher fell ill, the town kind of turned against her. They're like, obviously you're a witch. Yeah. Which, that's not how it works. No, it's not at all. She was chased to and then trapped inside of a barn Mm. and the townspeople set the barn on fire, but she somehow managed to escape completely unharmed by the fire, Mm. which of course they're like, oh, now you must be a witch because we put you in this barn that's on fire and you're fine. Survival instincts apparently prove that you're a witch. Right. Uh, Instead of hanging her or burning her at the stake and killing her quickly, they instead placed her in the stocks Mm. and after weeks of being yelled at and having stones thrown at her by kids and being spit on she eventually died of starvation right so her ghost is uh still locked in the pillory Mm -hmm. and her skin you can see has damage from exposure and also like cuts from the rocks that were thrown at her Mm -hmm. she is tied to the sign libra Mm. libra's uh, negative traits, indecisive, naive, detached, and unemotional. So there's that. So the next two ghosts, they're always, they're kind of tied together. I don't know why it's the great child and the dire mother. Mm-hmm. I don't know why the great child comes before the dire mother. It seems like it should be inverted. I I don't know. Chicken and egg. Yeah, it's weird. So the great child, Harold Shelburne was born and raised in a carnival And he retained a childlike mindset through his entire life. He never grew out of diapers and needed to be spoon fed by his mom. Part of that was her fault, but we'll get into that here in a minute. Mm -hmm. And he was just as devoted to his mom as she was to him. He saw himself as his mom's protector. Okay. And they were, even within the carnival freak show that they were part of, they were mocked and like the other carnies and the other quote, quote, freaks would even make fun of them. Oh, wow. So one day as a joke, some of the other carnival workers kidnapped his mom. Hmm. And he tore the carnival apart trying to find her. By the time he found her, though, she had already suffocated to death. Because when they they kidnapped her, they just stuck her in like a burlap sack and just stuck it somewhere. Hmm. And she suffocated to death. In a rage and not knowing exactly who was responsible... Harold went on a killing spree, chopping workers to bits with an axe before putting their remains on display for the customers of the freak show. Oh, wow. So when people were walking through thinking thinking they were going to see something else, they were seeing, like, chopped up bodies and shit. Oh, wow. And uh, he was eventually executed by an angry mob as Mm. a result of his actions. So his ghost appears the way he did in life. He's basically like a giant child. Um, he has a little patch of hair. He's got a bib on that's got vomit and food on it. He's wearing diapers. He's also got the little hand axe mm-hmm. that he used to kill the people he held responsible. 
Uh, astrological sign is associated with a Scorpio. Okay. Negative traits of Scorpios, jealous, trust issues, aggressive, and revengeful. So then we have his mom, the dire mother. Mm-hmm. Margaret Shelburne was a very shy, very meek woman. She only stood about three feet tall. She always had trouble standing up for herself. And um, at the freak show where she lived, she was sexually assaulted by one of the other freaks, the tall man. And that's how she ended up pregnant and then later giving birth to Harold. Okay. And she loved Harold more than anything. He was like her anchor, basically. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, because of this, she smothered him from infancy and continued this throughout his life, which is one of the reasons he retains this 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 um, diminished mental capacity. She smothered him in life and she suffocated in death. Yeah, it's very sad. So, yeah, she suffocated to death in a bag, unfortunately. Yeah. As ghosts, the dire mother and the great child are typically together. Mm-hmm. With Harold seeing seemingly as still like a protector. Right. Like the torso and the withered lover, she's not aggressive. Again, she seems to be a little more neutral. Associated with the Sagittarius sign. Okay. Uh, my dad is a Sagittarius. Okay. So we'll see what you think about these two negative traits. I ain't saying shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll find out what my mom thinks eventually. Okay. Uh, so the negative traits of a Sagittarius, conflict avoidant. And overly accommodating. I see one of those for my dad, but not both. So now we're getting into the heavy hitters. These, the the last three ghosts are the ones that are the most brutal. Mm -hmm. And remember how earlier I said the Torn Princess and the Pilgrimess had really sad stories? Yeah. The Hammers is the worst. You know, I find it funny as we're going through this. The only ghost I really fixated on was the Torn Princess, and it wasn't because she was nude, because, I mean, a slashed up The ghost, Angry Princess? Or, yeah, the, the Angry Princess. Yeah. Now I understand there was a kinship. There's Yeah, and there's a sadness to her. Right. Well, I, I mean, I, I can But ask. she's a Virgo. Yeah. yeah. I Like, characters in TV shows, I like, either the actor or the character winds up being a Virgo, and I'm like, yeah, that's why I agree You're like, you. oh, okay. Yeah. So, let's talk about the hammer. Okay. The hammer is actually the only ghost who isn't white, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And his backstory is extremely sad. So George Markley was a honest family man, local blacksmith, lived in some Western town at like the turn of the century. Okay. And a local man named Nathan accused George of theft. Mm-hmm. And he basically said, if you don't leave town, I'm going to have you thrown out and there's going to be consequences. Right. George stood up for himself and said, I'm not leaving because I know I didn't do it. I'm innocent. So Nathan and his gang came to George's house when he was gone and beat his wife and children to death in retaliation. He had a wife and two daughters. There's actually sketches. Mm on the wikia of George and his family and then the aftermath. Okay. I'll have to show them to you here in a minute. Finding his family dead and in a rage, which you would be. Yeah. George tracked down Nathan and his friends and beat them to death with a sledgehammer. Unfortunately, this was a Western turn of the century town and George was black. 
So the equally racist town folks saw him as the problem. Right. So they tied him to a tree and used his sledgehammer to drive railroad spikes into his body, killing him slowly. As a finishing touch, they cut off his left hand and jammed the sledgehammer in the stub. Mm. So his ghost bears the signs of this torture. Uh, He'll like menacingly pull some of the spikes from his body. There's speculation among some people in the horror community that maybe if he gets a chance, he can actually use those as a weapon. But we never actually see him do that. He mostly just uses the sledgehammer because his left hand has been replaced by a sledgehammer. Right. So the hammer is tied to the astrological sign Capricorn. Ah. I am a Capricorn. So is my mom. Mm-hmm. So Capricorns, Watch negative your traits. Watch David. Watch your words. <laughs> you love me and my mom. Yes. And it's okay. I know. I recognize this shit in myself. Okay. Well, Trust. Let's... Capricorn negative traits. Mm-hmm. Stubborn. No. Fuck off. <laughs> Impulsive. Yeah. Unforgiving. And this last one fucking tracks. Brutal when angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't want to see any Capricorns angry. Oh, yeah. No, don't fuck with us when we're angry. You will regret it. The, the only way to survive that is scorched earth, and that's not a way you want to go. Uh-uh. Nope. Not so much. So next, let's talk about the jackal. Mm. So if I if I were to ask you, do you think the jackal looks like a man or a woman? It's hard to tell. That's the Based one on with the, the that's the one with the head in a cage. The that's... head in a cage, yeah. Um, I mean, not that gender really matters, but like I, I mean, I mean, again, though, it's hard to tell with all that makeup because like uh, Javier Botet and and other you know yeah they, they've they've played you know various genders and right really, if something's trying to kill me, I'm not going to be like, what are your pronouns? Right. No, I just meant <laughs> like the character. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's hard to tell. I always thought it was a woman. Is it a guy? It is a guy. Okay. So born to a prostitute in 1887, Ryan Kuhn developed a sick, insatiable and uncontrollable appetite for women. Mm. As a result, he became a vicious sexual predator, raping and murdering women with animalistic savagery. Here's the thing. He knew that what he was doing was wrong. And he actually wanted to stop. So he voluntarily committed himself to Borumwood Asylum to seek treatment. Okay. Unfortunately, <laughs> with mental health treatment being what it was at the time, it didn't help. It actually made him worse. Because let's see, he was born in 1887. Let's add 20 years to that. The early 1900s. 1907. Yeah. I mean, mental health treatment. Going up into what even the 1970s was 80s, bad. 90s yeah, wasn't that great either. Honestly, the 2000s was pretty shabby. 2010s, um, we're getting better, but still, there's still some stuff that it, yeah. yeah, we need work. Yeah, so he scratched at his cell's walls so violently that his fingernails were actually torn completely off, and I think he ended up getting like down to bone because his hands ended up basically being like claws. Mm-hmm. And after attacking a nurse, he was put in a straitjacket. He actually gnawed through the restraints of his straitjacket. And so they, after putting a new straitjacket on him, locked his head in this cage-like helmet Mm -hmm. and put him in solitary confinement in the basement. And this 
caused him to hate any human contact to the point that if he was approached, he would scream. So one day a fire broke out in the asylum. And even though he had the opportunity to escape, he chose not to. Mm. He chose to stay in the fire and quote, quote, meet his fate. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, his ghost wears a torn straight jacket and the head cage is still on, but like the front is part of it is like blown out, blown out yeah. a little bit. He is actually one of the three most aggressive and violent ghosts. Mm-hmm. He attacks and nearly kills two people. Yeah. He attacks Kathy and then he later attacks Arthur. Right. Associated with this sign, Aquarius, angry, unpredictable, lack of empathy and lack of focus. Hmm. I actually found an article while I was doing research for this that was titled, Are Aquarius's Psychopaths? And I was like, let's not get too much into that. Well, I mean, you can't just use someone's astrological sign or, in, I mean, ju- when I lived in Japan, the whole thing was on blood type. Yeah. And blood type dating and things like that. And they're like, oh, you're this type? Well, I can't date you. It's like, you haven't even met me. Yeah. I know there's a list of... Um, Serial killers and their astrological signs. I don't remember which one is highest. Like, which one has the most. Give me just a second. So there's actually not a single Aquarius on the list of top serial killers. Mm -hmm. And you know what? There weren't a ton of Virgos on there, but I tell you what, there uh, there was a handful and one of those is not great. Yeah, apparently 40%. Well, I mean, no serial killers, great. Yeah. Apparently 40% of serial killers are either Cancer, Pisces, Sagittarius, or Scorpio. Of, of the group that was polled. Right. Interesting. Anyway, so let's talk about our last ghost. And this one's brutal. <laughs> like, this is the only one that is, con- has, is confirmed to have kept killing after he died. Yeah. So, which, which is actually the first one we get to meet, too. Isn't this is the first one we see, yeah. So let's talk about the juggernaut. Mm-hmm. Horace Mahoney was born disfigured and his mother abandoned him almost immediately after birth. So he was raised by his dad and very quickly he grew to such because of the disfigurement and then quickly growing to a very grotesque. The, the thing I read said grotesque height and appearance. He was ostracized. So he was unusually tall. He was unusually tall and continued to be unusually tall. He spent most of his childhood as an outcast Mm. and eventually just kind of stopped going to school and was put to work in his father's junkyard, chopping and crushing cars. Mm. So when his dad died, he was left alone. There was no one left to guide him and he didn't have anybody else. And it just kind of broke something in him mentally. It's the The criminal minds, the the stressor. Mm. Yeah. So he started picking up hitchhikers and stranded motorists and he would take them back to the junkyard before ripping them apart with his bare hands. Holy shit. Yeah. And then feeding them to the dogs. This method of killing earned him the nickname The Breaker. Mm. When a SWAT team showed up to arrest him, he allowed them to cuff him. But then broke free of the handcuffs and killed three more officers before he was gunned down. And once he was down, they fired one final volley of shots into him, quote, just to make sure. Mm. So his ghost is covered in bullet holes. Yeah. And he haunted the junkyard after his death and would kill anybody who trespassed. 
So as a result, he only actually killed like six people while he was alive. But after he died, that death toll rose to over 40, including at least another five people when Cyrus and his team came to capture him. Right. Just in the opening of the, yeah. the film. Talk about a malevolent spirit. I know. So he is associated with the sign Pisces. Hmm. Negative traits, pessimistic, secretive, and aggressive. Hmm. And that is all we have. Because there's technically a 13th ghost. Right. Um, that's meant to be Arthur. Right. But that's, I mean, we see him in the movie. So I didn't really write down much. I have, Plus, I have the explanation of the 13th ghost. Go for it. Um, the 13th ghost, basically the catalyst to trigger all of the other 12 into making this contraption, this machine, do what Cyrus is wanting it to do. It's basically the final key to open the eye. The rest of the ghosts power it, and the 13th ghost is the key. Yeah. And since Arthur has these kids, uh, the kids are basically used as a, a mechanism to say, okay sacrifice yourself their bait it it, it has to be a willing living sacrifice of selflessness yeah it's a ghost that is created out of an act of true love basically Mm -hmm. and and that's that's the the key to to all of this is true love yeah which i mean yeah okay to blave to blave (laughs) i So you can see by going through this list, again, like I said, just the amount of detail that the writers and everybody put into these characters and then causing these backstories to have a physical manifestation. Because you can see now knowing these backstories, you look at the ghosts and you're like, okay, now I get it. Yeah, I get every single one of them. Right. They make more sense in knowing these stories and knowing where they come from. Hell, knowing the backstories would actually help these you know, these characters in the film navigate and be like, hey, they're fine. Just, you know, leave them be, they'll leave you be sort of thing. And it's like, nope, not down that hallway. We're going this way. Yeah. And that's the thing is like these, these backstories are never mentioned really in the film. You don't really learn anything about them, which is unfortunate because it's just, I don't know. I, I like when, when writers go into this, I mean, this, the insane amount of detail that's put into something that most people won't even notice or ever know about. I think that's neat for a film. It also makes me kind of sad because it's like, people should know. <laughs> yeah. People should know about the the lore and the backstory and stuff. I mean, because that's, crea- that's part of the creative outlet. That's part of the creative process. Well, thanks to you, at least another 51 people now know. That is true. So you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> Maybe more. Who knows? Someday it Who might knows? be a hundred. Who knows? All in all, I love this movie. Again, it has a nostalgia hit for me, but then mm-hmm. I also, ever since I learned these backstories, now when I watch the movie, it causes me to kind of see them in a different way. I almost wonder now, knowing this, if watching the movie, how I would feel about, I mean, every event in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of like when you have the the translation of everything, you look at it and you go, you know, Arthur and these other characters, they're not even the main characters now it's now it's these ghosts that are really the mm-hmm. the stars of it yeah well, i mean it makes sense the movie's not called arthur that's a totally different movie that's a different movie yeah. uh you know it's this called 13 ghosts it's about the 13 ghosts mm-hmm. or at least 12 of them yeah and i i love the whole continuing the gimmick of the of the ghost glasses where you can only see them if you're wearing the glasses because mm-hmm. that was the whole thing with william castle 
is William Castle is really well known for doing like t- adding some sort of a gimmick to his films. Yeah. And so that was the one with with the original 13 ghosts is you had you were given these ghost specs. Mm-hmm. You'd only see the ghosts if you were wearing the glasses. So there would be points in the movie where you were supposed to put them on. And so I really enjoy that they carried that over. Mm-hmm. I think it would be neat if something like that was real. Well, and the thing, one of the effects of those uh, ghost glasses also is you mentioned those uh, Latin inscriptions on the glass. Yeah. They glow almost a golden glow. Yeah. When when you're wearing them, so I don't know. It seem it just seems more magical. Yeah, it's so it's such a good movie. I love it so much. <laughs> I want to watch it again. Okay. Not today, okay. but. I'll probably watch it next week at work just to be excited about it again. Sounds good. Did you have any final thoughts on this film before we wrap up? If you haven't seen the movie in a while, check it out again. Give give it a visit. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm I know you're not this way, but I generally don't go back and rewatch movies unless it has certain feelings for it. Like like if I'm in a mood and I just want to like feel something, because when I get in a mood, I stop feeling sometimes. And when mm-hmm. I want to feel just something, you know, something like climax will bring will bring that back. I mean, it's not always feeling a good thing, but it it, it at least kind you of just jump want to starts feel something. Kind of jump starts something. Yeah. And with with this, you know, had we not done it for the podcast, I probably would have never rewatched this movie. Mm-hmm. And going back to it, I I've, even before I knew the backstories of these ghosts, I feel like I've got a greater appreciation for for what they did and what they made mm-hmm. and the work that was put into it. And and I think that's fair to say about almost any any film or any media that you haven't really touched in 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Well, and another really cool thing about 13 Ghosts, mm-hmm. it was the first American film that had three Arab American leads. Yeah. That had never been done before. So that's pretty cool, I think. That's really awesome. Yeah. Because you've got Tony Shalhoub, F. Murray Abraham, and Shannon Elizabeth. Yeah. So, yay. Hurry for progress. Slow as it may be. Sometimes cold molasses on a sub-zero day. Right. (laughs) All right. So that's going to do it for us this week. Mm -hmm. I think as always, you can find us through our socials on our website, h2horrorcast.com. There's links to our Facebook, our Twitter. You can send us an email. Let us know your thoughts on 13 ghosts and whether or not you thought the whole breakdown I just did was cool or a waste of time. No, it was not a waste of time. <laughs> I disagree with you already. Okay. I always wonder, because I'm like, does anybody find this shit interesting as, as, as I... I know Gray does. Well, I mean, but... I, I, do, I do the same shit at work where I'm like, is this helpful? Does is anybody this helpful care? to anybody? And yeah. then all of a sudden I hear a bunch of people go, no, I use this all the time. I'm right. like, okay, well then, fine, I'll keep doing this thing. That's fair. You can also find a link on our website to our Patreon. We are patreon.com slash h2horrorcast. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month, mm-hmm. which helps with movie rentals and new equipment when that becomes necessary and so on and so forth. Right. Uh, shout out to our current patrons, Liz, Lizzie, Gray, and my mom. We appreciate and love you all. If you aren't able to support us financially, we totally get it. And you can support us in another way. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcast. Uh, Spotify, Google, basically wherever it lets you rate the podcast that you're listening to, that would be awesome. Or recommend us to a friend or coworker or your Lyft driver or 
I've done Whoever. that a few times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, if if they're gonna give me their, you know, if they're gonna offer me their uh, their son's new CD or ask if I want to go play pool with them and teach them Japanese, then that the, really happened this week. Yeah, that's awesome and uh, weird. Like out of the blue, they're like, "Well, if you like to play pool, you know." I was going to play pool this Saturday if you're not busy. I'm like, uh, dude, I just met you. You just drove me to my place. So you know where I live and I don't know where you live. I'm on the back foot. I'm going to say no. My Uber Eats driver once asked me, I ordered sushi and he asked me if that place was any good. Well, see, that's a fair question. I know. Not like, hey, what are you doing this Saturday? Well, that's kind of weird. I just The interaction time you have with an Uber Eats driver is a lot shorter than the time you have with an Uber driver. Fair. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, let's order pizza. Okay. Until next time, I'm Tia. And I'm still David. And stay spooky, friends. Bye. Music for this episode is Save Us Now by Shane Ivers. Our artwork is by Catherine Nixon. <laughs>